Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beck. And this is DVD Clutter. Imagine if we just wandered into the wrong podcast. I know, right? People would be, could be disappointed, sure. could be very excited. Yeah, that's right. Feel obligated to listen to us and then you're like, oh, what? This is something different. Oh my God, amazing. I'm sorry, it's not true crime. I don't have the uh, the self-discipline to do that much research. No, but this week's film is based on a true story. That's true. And I guess it is a crime. Yeah, it does involve the law. Huh? It does. Yeah. Oh my God, so we are a true crime <laughs> podcast. Bye. <laughs> Literally having an identity crisis right now. Our our audience numbers will like quadruple. Exactly. We'll change the tags to true crime. It's going to be great. That's it. Now this week we are looking at Footloose. 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 That's the one. We are the podcast DVD clutter. So basically, with oh yes, that's right. With this film, Footloose, uh, it's from my DVD collection. We've rewatched yes, it. Now we're going to mm-hmm. debate its merits and figure mm-hmm. out whether I should keep it, whether it should mm-hmm. go to the op shop, or whether mm-hmm. it should be violently beaten up outside a senior prom. <laughs> Sure. With the girls cheering on in the background, yes. yelling, kill him, kill him. Yeah. Yeah, great. That, that's it. What a scene. Can I have a look at the DVD, please, Paul? Sure. I'm going to bring it up to the camera. And look, it's another one. Oh, my God. It's another jacket one. Just like my copy of um, Grease that was in a little jacket, this one comes in a little sweater. It says Footloose on the front. and then Is it a sweater vest, like the one he dances in? I, th- I think it's supposed to be, but they didn't cut the holes in the arms. Very disappointing. We could cut some holes and put it on Peggy. I think that would look great. I think this would actually look better than the T-Bird jacket. One day when isolation is over, we'll have a runway show, Peggy, featuring all of your DVD jackets. I think, I think it should look actually quite fetching in this one. I think this one's my pick so far. Uh, yeah, it's good because it's the jacket we should we should say the sweater vest or the vest or the sweater, whichever one it is, is white and it has a black um, headphones kind of sitting around the chest and then the, the Footloose logo um, around the middle. So I think the white would contrast nicely with Peggy's dark fur. That's exactly right. what I was thinking. Right. And the, the vibrancy of the pink and the headphones would contrast the pure anger that would be shown on her face. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Look, she's 17. I don't think I want to force her into anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay, I'll do it then. Uh, okay. Phew. So, Paul, where on earth did you get this film? Well... This DVD. This was another one. Mum brought this at the same time that she bought me um, Grease mm-hmm. in its little jacket too. And so I guess that's where the DVD came from. I'll talk a bit more about the film in my life. Yeah, please. So, Footloose, I love the song. I love the story of it. I love the whole soundtrack, really. And I was thinking about... The soundtrack is good. Yeah, maybe the time I'm 17, 18, I, like, was really sort of into that. And I hadn't actually watched the film yet. And then I remember watching the film and feeling kind of like... um, Let down. Well, shocked, I think. It's just... The movie, you know, I love I love sort of the campness of the song and this whole idea of we just want to dance. And then the movie's mm. quite real, mm. fairly violent, mm-hmm. and quite serious that I think at the time I was just sort of shocked by. It's definitely, watching it for the first time last night, I thought, really, they call this a dance film and a musical? Yeah, I, I totally get that. And I think that's what I kind of felt watching it the first time and then preferred just to listen to Kenny Loggins and keep that memory. But watching it this yeah, time, totally. I think, yeah, I, I got a lot more appreciation for for it as sort of as a drama and sort of what it was doing at, at, to the musical genre. Maybe because your expectations had changed. That's it, exactly. And also, I did get a chance to watch most of the special features on this DVD oh, too cool. and sort of heard the creators talk about it a lot. And I really respect what they were going for. Mm. That's, I guess, a bit of a tease for later. I think I've talked mm. up all of Footloose, apart from the fact that Footloose, the song by Kenny Loggins, is um, like my go-to karaoke song. Oh, yes. Yeah. I want to go to karaoke with you. I don't think we've ever been to karaoke. No, I don't I think so. I mean, you just sing when you're drunk, but... Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's true. But, like, yeah, to have it's it actually karaoke. set up, that's definitely on the post-isolation list. But, yeah, that's Footloose. Awesome. So, I guess I'll give a little rundown of the plot yeah. if you don't know about it, which I didn't really know about it, except that I'd heard vaguely about some town where dancing was outlawed. When we last talked about it, I got very confused, especially because you mentioned the sweater, and I got very confused with Flashdance, mm. which came before Footloose, yep. and she does wear like this massive sweater. The um, leg warmers. underneath, kind of. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly, the leg warmers. So when you mentioned the sweater, I thought Flashdance. I wish it was Flashdance, because the actress in Flashdance I really love from another TV show, and Flashdance is a great movie, but um, <laughs> but it was not. It was Footloose. Loose. And that's fine. Just, yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, but if you don't know the story, 
let me tell you. Based on a true story, this movie is about a city boy from Chicago who moves to kind of the Bible Belt in America and it's a really small country town and he finds out he loves dancing he like used to go dancing all the time he's like really into the 80s rock and roll scene yeah so he finds out from the kids at school that dancing is outlawed yeah and then he decides to throw a dance essentially that's the story yeah but I guess there's a lot more there's like there's a couple different characters so we're kind of introduced I can't even remember. I think we're introduced to him at the start and then we go between him and the main female counterpart called Ariel. Her name's Ariel. Yeah. Her father is the minister of the town, played by a friend of the podcast girl. Yeah. Who was like 10 years older than Kevin Bacon at the time. Yeah, I know, right? Like the age difference here, it was, it was so obvious as well when you watched it. You were like, you watched Joan Lithgow play the father of this supposedly 16-year-old or 17-year-old girl. Yeah. They look about, they look about 10 years apart. Like, they don't John Lithgow looks very young in this still like he's got some hair loss but that obviously means nothing his face is still very youthful yeah as is his the person who plays his wife who I've forgotten her name Diane Weiss Diane Weiss thank you yeah like she looks like her her daughter is 10 anyway whatever hey you know like age means nothing conservative communities they marry young you know so 10 and 10 and 13 they have their first child that's exactly it (laughs) I don't I don't think so but anyway so their daughter Ariel I'll just jump in on that because there's some great interviews with John Lithgow on the DVD and one of them was him talking about like he was like I was very much acting on what I thought like you know this this father that's got no idea would be doing and these scenes where like you know doesn't know how to father and then he said he had memories later in his life when he was talking to his kids and telling his kids off where he just sort of had this weird flash of like I am my character from Footloose oh no no, it's coming true yeah that's just I am a father who knows nothing yeah that's it oh that's really funny but anyway I'll let you go back to the plot now so Ariel is the preacher's daughter the minister's daughter and she's a bit wild like she's pretty wild the opening scene where we kind of get introduced to her she is in a car with her friends and her boyfriend pulls up beside them in a truck and she is like reaching out the window being like oh like you know i love you i love you whatever and then she actually while they're speeding down the highway and he's in the overtaking lane so he's on the wrong side of the road <laughs> she's like leaning out the window and then she just start does this star jump where she's got one foot in the truck one foot in the car with her friends and she's just like start put it got her arms in the air being like woo like joy riding down the road and then suddenly obviously a truck comes and everyone's like get in the car get in the car and you think it looks mm. like they're about to die but of course she dives into the truck just at the right second and and it's okay but it just sets up her character yeah. as this like daredevil that's her theme at that time in the film is um this girl gets around which is a sammy hager song who's from van halen so it's like rock and roll and like guitar riffs and yeah yeah and she's having sex with her boyfriend and whatever yeah which comes out later when she says to her father i'm not even a virgin and he's like and she says it in church and he's like (laughs) (laughs) it was great anyway so she's obviously you know suffering under the oppression of having a minister for a father she wants to dance she wants to have fun she wants to like kick back Mm -hmm. and as do all the kids in the town but they can't and yeah so i don't know like there's kind of not much going on it's just a bit of like him getting to know about the town and he makes friends with one of the kids at school and they become buddies and the the friend kind of introduces Introduces him to the other people around town. Yeah, so that there's like a little bit of a rivalry between Kevin Bacon's character Ren and Ariel's boyfriend Chuck. Every now and then, that kind of pops up. Chuck. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Is there much else to it? No, that that basically is it. I did just want to mention Willard. His friend is played by Chris Penn, who we've seen on this podcast before in um, Reservoir Dogs, in a very different oh, role. Yeah. Chris, he's great in this. He is just fantastic. So yeah. young. Yes, baby. And I'll jump in with another story that I found from watching the special features, but he signed on for the film without reading the script. That's brave. Yeah. Or stupid. Oh, you know, young actor, get an offer from a picture that's being backed by Paramount, and you're just sort of like, oh yeah. I'll do anything. Yep. Knew that the film was involved a dancer, didn't realise it was like a, a dance movie. Yeah. So it turns up first day of rehearsal, and they're like, why are you wearing army shoes? He's like, oh, you know, whatever. They're like, you're going to need actual dancing shoes. Because the first two weeks was just a dance boot camp. Right. Yeah. 
and he just remembers falling through the floor in shock, just being like, I, I don't know how to dance, which um yep. suits his character very well. Well, I think they wrote it in because he couldn't dance, like you said. So they're writing this beautiful scene between Kevin Bacon and him, and Kevin Bacon's teaching him how to dance, and it's the best scene in the film. Yeah. It's it's set to, um, it's a montage, and it's set to Let's Hear It For The Boy. I don't know who that song's by. Can you do it? Can you sing a bit? Let's hear it for the boy. <laughs> yeah, you know the song. Yeah. It's great. It's a great song. Um, yeah, it's just a montage of him learning how to dance. And apparently that was kind of, they put that in because he didn't know how to dance and they had to really teach him and they had to talk about it in terms of wrestling. That's what I read because he used to wrestle. Yeah. So he kind of understood, you know, wrestling moves and stuff. So they were like, okay, well, we can pull from that to try and teach him how to dance. And he gets it in the end, obviously. Yeah, exactly. I should say, I, should, I guess I should say the end of the movie. Yeah. The end of the movie, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the, basically, there's a town hall meeting. Kevin Bacon's character, Ren, is petitioning the town hall to let them have a school dance. He brings out the Bible. So he speaks their language to them and reads out all these passages from the Bible. And he's like, and God said, let them dance. That's not right. But, you know, mm. you get the point. There's all these passages about how good dancing is and how they dance is a celebration and blah, blah, blah. And obviously that has an impact. But I think they still say no at that point. Yeah. But then the kids just go ahead and do it anyway because just outside the town neighborhood person yeah and then in one of his sermons the um the preacher john lithgow's character like kind of gives them his blessing Mm. after ren has come and talked to him man to man and told him a bit about his dad and yeah that's it yeah and then yeah um, and i think i really do it ends on a lovely dance party a nice little formal yeah and i really like that scene where Ren does go talk to John Lithgow and John Lithgow shows him that photo of his son who died after a dance hence the oh yeah we should say that's why so it was five years ago that they banned dancing and it was because that dancing was associated with drinking and sex Mm. and all the naughty things and two cars were racing across a bridge and they were drunk and they crashed they both went off the bridge and died and one of the people who died was Ariel's older brother and John Lithgow's son yeah and then obviously everyone was like no we've got to ban dancing did they ban alcohol I don't know I think they did I think they said yeah booze is also banned Oh, okay, yeah. cool. And rock and roll music. Oh, yeah. Mm. And fornication of any kind. <laughs> yes. yes, doing bad for population numbers. The, <laughs> the local <laughs> primary school is just... <laughs> oh, dear. So do you want to give us your review? Yeah. Look, I really enjoyed this. I think more so than I did the first time. Just because, yeah, I guess I was ready for it to be darker. Like, darker these days, you sort of think of, like, the gritty Batman reboots. And it's definitely not that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's it's more real. It is a first and foremost, I guess, a drama film mm. that's sort of structured as a musical. When we say musical here, like if you've seen the film, you'd know this, but if you haven't, you might not know that there's no, no one sings the songs. Mm. No, about eight different songs were written for this film, like you'd write for a musical. They're played as a soundtrack. And the writers talked about how they still wrote the songs as if they were something that would be sung by that character. But to sort of get with that tone of the film that they didn't obviously get them to sing because they wanted to keep it more realistic. And, you know, the whole musical element where you burst into song does shatter the illusion of anything real. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> um, what do you mean? See, it's normal. That's just it. So I really, really did enjoy it, um, watching it again. And I guess we'll talk about the production of it and sort of elements when we talk a little bit more about things to do with the film. But I guess, yeah, yeah. overall, a big fan. I did not like it. Not at all? I mean, like, I like the music and the montage scene where he's teaching Chris Penn to dance. I like, that was a great scene. I really liked that scene. But I found it kind of confusing. I didn't, not the plot. Obviously, I just it it was like it was trying to smoosh together a few different genres and it just felt a bit heavy handed or like I just couldn't get into any of the I didn't I felt distant from it. I felt distant from the characters. I felt like I didn't empathize with really anyone. I don't know. I just it just didn't it didn't like resonate with me. It felt kind of slapdash or I don't know. I think they were trying to do something where they were like putting a musical and a dance film and a drama all together and I just felt like I don't know and also I had all those expectations of it being a dance film and there's I mean for a dance film there's not that much dancing look I I totally get what you're saying because I I remember I thought they I thought they like went down the middle of the street like yeah I'm doing some great dance moves now for 
those of you who can't see me but <laughs> yeah and it's just there's not that much dancing that well that's it and I think I I totally understand your criticism because I, I remember having these feelings watching it the first time sort of thinking footloose yeah. in pop culture has sort of become this giant camp extravaganza thing and you're sort of ready for it to be this joyous celebration. Yeah, fabulous, exactly. But it, it's not. It, it is, yeah, it is a teen drama film that sort of follows the conventions of musical apart from the fact that it doesn't have people sing. Yeah, and sort of follows the conventions of a dance movie but also doesn't have that many dance scenes. It's, it's got a fair bit of dance. I mean, a I, bit, I think, but I think you went in there with an the expectation for them to be dancing non-stop, but it's, it's still got quite a bit of dancing. <laughs> I mean, it has more dancing than, you know, your average film. Yeah. It's got more dancing than Kill Bill, for example. Yeah, but even, but I, I, I feel <laughs> it's like, even in the way that most, like, the scenes that involve songs move, there's still sort of like an element of choreography to them. And you, you've got yeah. to remember, I it's mean, set in I a also... town where they can't dance, where they can't dance. <laughs> That's true. It's against the law. And if you can't dance, then you're no friend of mine. Yeah. That's all I can say. I had also had a little bit to drink at this point. Okay, yeah. So you just... But you were, I made some notes. You were there yelling at the TV, being like, dance more, dance! <laughs> God damn it, why won't you sing? I thought this was a musical. Yeah. And then also at various points going, Kevin Bacon is not that good looking as a young person. It's weird, isn't it? Because I'm exactly the same. And so I'll talk a little bit um, about Kevin Bacon getting cast in this film. Because I find Kevin Bacon and this film in particular is sort of like paradoxical in the way that Kevin Bacon is this actor that everyone's like, Kevin Bacon's in everything. But at the same time, mm. he's this guy that's, he's the Footloose guy. <laughs> yes. Kevin Bacon's in everything. Yeah, he's definitely known for that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me the movies he's in. Well, Footloose. And Footloose, yeah. <laughs> everything else. <laughs> but um, he is in everything though. He is. I did. I did a deep dive into Kevin Bacon's life. He is. He is in absolutely everything. But this was particularly interesting. This film in because before this he'd done a few sort of small parts and he'd very much been sort of pigeonholed as sort of like a character actor. Like he's not going to be, mm. never going to lead a film. And um, mm. it took the studio a lot of convincing to get him to yeah to get them on board to have him lead a film. And yep. it also took him a lot of convincing too because there was sort of so much back and forward between the studio and the producer and the director that he was offered other films in the meantime and they really had to be like yeah i promise you if we can convince the studio this will make you a household name you really really need to stick with us even though yeah we're not sure if you'll get it <laughs> um <laughs> trust yeah that's it um and it worked out really well for him yeah but um yeah, yeah it's interesting to think of him sort of pre-footloose as this character actor because that's sort of what he's become post you know, that's what he I think primarily what, what, is. What I read about it yeah. about it was that after Footloose, he got typecast so much and that he really didn't like it. He didn't want to be typecast as that. So he tried to choose roles that were against type. And then that was like when his career kind of went a bit downhill, had a bit of a dip. And then he decided, I'm just going to go for character mm. roles done well and try and make that work. And it has, yeah. yeah. Um, in all the interviews um, on the DVD, he had the worst like soul patch thing going oh. on too. And it was just... It was just so and a, and a brown leather jacket. I don't know when that was shot, maybe, but it was just disgusting. <laughs> maybe it's because his band, the Bacon Brothers, yeah, was on tour. That's, the Bacon Brothers are fantastic, and apparently, oh my god, they're actually so good. They um do Footloose as the second encore at every show. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I know, right? and that's what I really like about Kevin Bacon too is that, and I'm sure you know there was probably a phase where he really hated the whole Footloose thing, but he seems to have really uh, embraced it as well, like being the Footloose guy. You know, yes. I think like a a couple of TV shows, God the Devil and Bob will watch at another stage, but in that he makes a cameo and does sort of like the whole Footloose thing. And there's that great episode of Will and Grace where Jack ends up, I think he breaks into Kevin Bacon's house and <laughs> Kevin Bacon has a button on his wall that plays the Footloose thing. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think it kind of it kind of is in line with his character because the, the game, The Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, which we can talk about later, yeah. but he took that and then made a charity. Like he's got a charity <laughs> called Six Degrees. So he's obviously used to or he's he's very good natured about jokes that are made about him or anything like that he seems to just embrace it and take it on board yeah he really seems to um from the stuff i've seen especially interviews about this he seems to be a nice guy about mm. it and just sort of continue being like pretty lucky that i you know am in every film and was in this giant mm. blockbuster so you know what yeah that's good yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can't complain. Yeah. Let's go into your notes and I'll try and dot in. Yeah. A lot of the stuff I'll talk about yeah, will come directly from these three featurettes that were part of the DVD, which was looking at making the film and a special featurette on the songs too. All right. I said opening, such an iconic song. 
Mm. As you can imagine, I was on point with these notes. Yeah. So that the opening, which people would know because it was also the video clip to the song. Well, people might not know that, but people that did watch video clips. That was added in right at the last minute. So after a lot of test screenings, they wanted to have a big sort of musical number to boost it off. Originally, that Footloose number was written to be the song that was going to play at the bar when they went dancing. Oh, yeah. Um, But it was sort of decided that it was so joyous that they wanted to uh, start the film with it and also end the film with a school dance with it as well. Yeah. So the school dance sort of was added and then they're like, we need it for the start too. So that whole idea of um, the feet dancing in front of the camera was very slapdash sort of quick, let's just film some feet (laughs) and chuck it together. But it's become, yeah, a real cornerstone of the film. And even Um, just hearing from the editor talk about it, like editing was obviously a lot more difficult back then before so much the digital sort of stuff and he said my only goal was just to make sure as soon as the song said footloose for the title footloose to come up so everything else i just kind of threw around that around it (laughs) yeah the only thing that really stood out to me about that is that the women were doing all these amazing dance moves in high heels (laughs) and then there was all these boys in flats which was pretty hilarious and it just reminded me of that book that i think you've actually I think I've got it now. I think you gave it to me to read. Is it called Backwards and in High Heels? Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, like the idea that women are doing everything in high heels and backwards and they're the real stars of the show. That's it. Well, but we don't see any faces. So actually that could have all just been the same person, just in different footwear. It wasn't. (laughs) And then I wrote John Lithgow, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And then I wrote Religion Man. And I think that sums up my view pretty well of this film, (laughs) Religion Man. Well, I remember one of my first sort of reactions with this film too was that John Safran on his show Music Jamboree, there was a religious community somewhere in Australia that had banned dancing and he went and spoke to them and did the Kevin Bacon monologue from the scene. Did they get it? Oh, I don't know. Well, like, no. I've got the whole series of um, Music Jamboree, so we'll watch that at some point and we have to talk about it. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the John Lithgow character was strange because obviously there was shit going on in his family, mm. but he wasn't like... We were kind of expecting him to be this... Um, from the first time you see him, you see him delivering a sermon, a, like, brimstone and fire sermon, like, and he shall watch us and blah, blah, blah. And he's like slamming down on the pulpit thing and, you know, getting real American about it. And <laughs> and you expect him to be like this real hard ass, but he's actually like, he seems like a, a fairly reasonable father for a lot of the first part of the film. Mm. And even when he catches his daughter playing an illegal tape and dancing down at the local soda shop or the drive-in or whatever it was he just he kind of he looks really disappointed and everything but he doesn't yell at her he doesn't scream at her he doesn't do anything like that and i think i don't know maybe our expectations are changed because we've seen so many religious fanatics taken to the extreme in horror movies and so i expected her to be like fucking locked in a closet and like beaten with a (laughs) belt and yeah having to like say the hail mary's or whatever i don't know what you do to f- get forgiveness. But so for the first father movie, we were like, oh, he doesn't seem like that bad of a dad. Then he did slap her at one point. So that, w- that was downhill for mm. our, our, us feeling sorry for him. And that's a, um, that's a real breaking point for his character, I find too. John Lithgow talked a little bit about that whole idea of the human element of the character. And that was something he really yeah. brought to it. He sort of really based, started it at a place of what would happen if my son had died and what if, you know, my, yeah. my whole life was based based around religion. Like, of course, that's going to be the place where you go for comfort. Yeah. And he said, yeah, the, the whole religious aspect of it was sort of something that he sort of put in the background. Yeah, that was his day job. But really, it's about a man coping with the death of his son. Yeah. And you don't, because as an audience, you're not told that until about midway through the movie. Yeah. That it's his son that, that died and that it's Ariel's brother that died as well as others of course yeah he was that was an interesting an interesting relationship between him and his wife and ariel i thought that the dynamics in that family were quite interesting ariel obviously has some severe mental health issues that (laughs) needed to be addressed because of this daredevil behavior is quite extreme like there's two moments that kind of bring it to the forefront and the first one is that opening scene where she's joyriding Mm. is that what it's called i don't know i I don't know i'm not she's just you know i mean you know when she's got one foot in each car and driving down the highway and risking her life that way and the life of the others in the car as well Mm. and I feel like that was like a bit of a a setup to her character but then later on as well when she's with Kevin Bacon's character she jumps in front of a train yeah yeah and she literally just stands there waiting for the train to come and hit her and you think she's gonna move at some point but she's got this like elated look on her face and then eventually Kevin Bacon jumps and 
pushes her out of the way just in time. And you wonder, you're kind of left wondering if she would have let it hit her or not. But that one, that especially to me, just screamed of like severe mental health issues. Like this needs to be addressed. You have severe personality disorder of some kind where you're just, you know, crying out for attention and ha- wanting to feel something because you're so numb inside. I don't know, but, something going on. Well, but it was all fixed by dancing, I guess. So that was fine. Well, I don't think it, I don't think it was. I don't think this film tries to say that the dance at the end solves all the town's problems. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, and I think that is very much put in stone by having that really quite violent fight before the dance. Um, yeah. That is, yeah, kind of jarringly real, the violence there. But... I really also like the way that, yeah, her character was presented. And I think it does, it speaks to the reality of the film because you've got this this girl whose father has sort of been the face of stealing the town's fun. Like, and I feel like she's very much, and I don't want to give Footloose too much credit for doing the, you know, <laughs> this is probably a lot of analysis that I'm piling on later, but I, I guess it does sort of stem from that idea that, you know, what would it be like if you're sort of the preacher's daughter and the preacher is outlawed fun? How would you act to sort of demonstrate? You don't agree you with don't that. You don't agree with that. And then what kind of pressure would it be to sort of maintain both personas? Like you have to be Mm. the best of the best, I'm the preacher's daughter, and the worst of the worst to sort of balance that out Mm. and have a social standing. And you can see that Mm. in this character that she is completely torn and mentally wrecked. Mm, She is mentally wrecked. That's a good way of putting Mm. it. And her relationship with men, I think, is um, stems from that as well. And I didn't feel like, you know, the relationship that she had with her, the boyfriend that Chuck at the start of the film, she kind of throws him over so easily for Ren, for Kevin. And Bacon's character but I didn't even get the feeling that they were going to be together forever either like yeah it wasn't it, it felt like for her it's always going to be about grasping the next thing the next thing the next thing and well, and that's even so much of Ariel's story too is she wants to escape she wants to get away from yeah. who she is and, and what she is anyway and so much of her I guess her appeal of Reen is that he is an outsider he is something different here's a path yeah. away from things and I guess in the same way that Chuck sort of was because he was sort of on the outskirts of normal life he wasn't a school kid he was yeah kind of wrong side of the tracks kind of guy yeah the other thing about John Lithgow's character because he he's an interesting character and I think it is complex and he does a really good job of playing that because he like you said I guess he was the face of this this ban on dancing and everything but he is also can be like a bit reasonable because there's yeah. that there's the school principal who is exemplifies or personifies the extreme extreme right wing ban mm. everything satan um satanic panic kind of idea and he fired an english teacher who wanted to teach slaughterhouse five yeah. the book and but john lithgow's character was like oh i never agreed to that i didn't support you in doing that mm. and then there's another scene where the principal and some of the other teachers are just burning books in the light from the library because they've got too much I guess they've got too much sex in them or something yeah. and um and he comes down and and makes them stop and tells them to be ashamed of themselves and go and go and sit in judgment on yourselves mm. which that's great I'm gonna start saying that to the students <laughs> anyway so he's he's not he's not painted as a devil like he's not no he's not the villain of the piece it is more complex than that that's that's it exactly and I think that's what I really enjoy in, in the film is that all the characters aren't really there's complexity yeah there's yeah there's a shades of gray to every character in it except for his mum she was like she- a bit of a play-doh character oh yeah you don't you barely see her i kind of forgot that she existed no exactly yeah <laughs> and you also don't really get an understanding of why he came to the town well i guess we kind of find out that his dad left them mm. and i, I imagined it was financial sort of stuff to town? yeah that you know because yeah. they move, they'd move in with her brother cousins or, yeah yeah her sister or something who are terrible people as I well know, like, right? just, just like close-minded little shits yeah but i also think that's one of the things too that is hard to wrap your head around with this film is that it was sort of based on this true situation there was a town where this legitimately happened yeah how do you how do you outlaw like li- it's literally a law yeah but against public dancing and how is that how is that possible that's crazy in the real story that this was based off so dean pitchford the guy who wrote it he read this little article that was about this town and it wasn't the death of the preacher's son it was just a, it was a law from old times that had never been taken off the books but oh. they were conservative and they were worried that any sort of change would bring in you know rock and roll and sex and booze and the devil's drugs. music yeah. so they did they had the town meeting and then there was a factory worker that had a stock room just outside of the town limits and that's how it actually sort of happened so that was all mm. sort of based on fact but when they were writing the film they realized that this wasn't uncommon in the u.s there were a lot of like little towns and because i guess the u.s is so state by state region by region law focused there's more flexibility to the, it, 
actually pass that law. You can have these like crazy sort of things going on. And again, one of the yeah. interviews with John Lithgow, he talked about he was doing some work on Third Rock from the Sun and someone who was coming in for a bit part pulled him aside at one stage and just started crying and saying, I lived in a small town growing up where dancing was banned and my dad was the preacher and I went and saw Footloose with oh. him and I was the first one out of my five siblings to have a senior prom dance and that movie was so important thank you oh wow yeah and john lithgow came out of it being like because he did that film and for a lot of his career he said he saw it as just like you know it's it's a teen a teeny bop whatever you know it was good i'm glad people enjoyed it but it's not you know a meaningful yeah it's not susan kane or anything like (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he said he didn't realize that for so much of the south having those ideas was still quite groundbreaking especially in the 80s so I, i found that really interesting to see that this film yeah, yeah, could become so meaningful to people and could reflect real life because it sounds ridiculous. It sounds so ridiculous. It does. It does. All right, are you ready? To keep talking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Laura kept saying, no wonder people end up dead. And this was in reference to a few moments. And I think you can probably empathise with this as well. And those of us who grew up in the country, there are a lot of deaths from drunken car rides and sitting in the back of the ute and paddock bombing around. It's really sad. When I was young, there was a lot of it. I think it's kind of hopefully getting better now, but, you know, it wasn't uncommon. Cars are dangerous. A lot of that has to do... Cars are fucking dangerous. Mm. Cars and alcohol and teenage egoism and testosterone are very dangerous yeah so and but a lot of that i mean i think comes from the the boredom of living in a small town and the what do you do to let off steam and what do you do to kind of get rid of all of those angsty feelings or get rid of that need to show off but there was the scene where so the first scene where ariel's joyriding that one Mm. is obviously one of those but then also the tractor scene where they play chicken with the tractors so ariel's boyfriend chuck challenges kevin bacon to a chicken race where they both hop on tractors these massive tractors and they've got to drive at each other as fast as they can until one of them decides to pull over yeah and he's never driven a tractor before in a thing so he's like what i don't know what the fuck i'm doing but he does it because he's like yeah i'm a man and everyone's like you're a man come on yeah and he just is new to town i guess he wants to not be looked on as a wuss and then his shoelace gets stuck so he's the one who stays on the longest and then chuck ends up jumping off at the last minute and loses the chicken race mm. but that was another moment of like yeah no wonder people die yeah. <laughs> well, although i did then read that that was one of the things that the people from the town where it was based they watched that and they were like no we would never have done yeah. that because those tractors are like so ex- thousands of dollars yeah, so each expensive. and yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah and if we did we would just be absolutely it would ruin our families because they couldn't afford to buy another one and then they couldn't use it on the farm and all that stuff that's it that was but you know that's a nice little bit of hollywood yeah yeah um (laughs) but yeah no it is uh, this is something that elizabeth commented on while we're watching it's it's that weird juxtaposition that the town seems fine with everyone drinking and driving like all the time like there's that oh my god all the time bit where ren has to go off and hide away so he can dance but you know that was fine that he got into the car after drinking a few beers like that's not if they catch him dancing oh he's in trouble but the fact that he's like six beers deep (laughs) and just driving around oh watch out you scallywag yeah yeah exactly (laughs) exactly yeah there was a great line when um, he first meets Chuck. Chuck's come to pick up Ariel from school and Kevin Bacon's character's trying to back out and they kind of almost T-bone each other. Yeah. And Chuck says something like, I thought only pansies wear ties or something like that. Yeah. Or I thought only pansies have haircuts like that. And then he says, I thought only assholes use the word pansy. Yeah, I know, right? I was like... Oh, that, that was the best. It really puts you on Ren's side pretty quickly. You just have that one oh line God, and suddenly you're so like, good. this guy's all right. Yeah. But even for, for the time period, I feel like that's standing up for, for queer rights and, and standing up against homophobic slurs. Yeah. That's pretty amazing for that time period. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's, um, yeah. yeah. That was great. Mm. I loved that. We, Laura and I were both like, whoa. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Chuck's a dick. Yeah. He gets what he deserves. Chuck is a dick. <laughs> One of the things that annoyed me vaguely was when he becomes friends with the Chris Penn character, Willard, the first time they meet, Ren almost like bashes into Willard in the hallway at school and Willard has a go at him. And then he says something smart, asked back, and then they become friends from that. But I don't know, like that was kind of weird for me because I was like, if Willard's the kind of guy who I guess later on, oh, I don't know, this whole, there's a there's a real theme of toxic masculinity mm. throughout this whole thing. And it's re- reinforced by the women in the film as well, yeah. like the young girls but I think in the if, film. If you're going to look at rural 
living in any setting i think toxic masculinity is something that you have to have to examine and it's part of it's part of the culture it's part of it but is it examined in this film i don't think so <laughs> yeah but i, I think I, I think yes it is because i think it's looking at balancing what it is to be masculine because you've got someone who wants to dance demonstrating that he can still be traditionally masculine which itself is i guess problematic because a lot of the stuff that it has to be traditionally masculine is pretty disgusting. Yeah, but it's terrible. I also think it is part of the reality of the part of the world that they're trying to capture. And I don't think you can... Sure. It's also a time period. Yeah. And like, I, I don't think... I disagree. I don't think they were examining masculinity in that sense because I think... I don't know. It just seemed like it was... It's just part and parcel with the time period. And yes, of course, in their teenagers, they want to try and show you know they're trying to figure out who they are and they want to try and show their that they're men and whatever i didn't feel like it was examining it though i felt like it was just it was them yeah it was them showing that they could be men as well and that was that was rewarded a lot of the time yeah i don't know yeah i think i'm i I have to disagree with you on that because i i also think that a lot of that examination is in the way that the film leaves a lot of stuff unresolved and i think it gives you the illusion that things are resolved because kevin bacon runs in and says i thought this was a party why don't we start dancing and then they start dancing which is maybe one of my fundamental issues with this film it doesn't know what it's doing (laughs) whereas i think it is but it's not doing something that we expect it to do yes so maybe if i watch it a second time i'll find the nuances and everything yeah maybe or maybe if you go in wanting to wanting to put a lot of this stuff on it which i think i did (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can you can find ways to do it. Isn't that what film criticism is? Isn't that? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's right. It's just reflecting your own wants and needs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think my point with that was it was annoying to me that this guy who was actually a bit of an asshole became the best friend of the main character and then was quite lovable at the end. But he was also like completely possessive over girls. Sarah Jessica who, Parker. One of the girls in particular, Sarah Jessica Parker, who I don't think was really his girlfriend, but whatever. Sarah Jessica Parker, there's a couple of like unsung heroes of this film. And I think Sarah Jessica Parker is one of them. Yeah. She does a great job. I don't know what it is. It was a bit part. It wasn't even like a really important. She's the best friend of the of Ariel, but she just she's just a really good actress, I think. I think that's it. And I think a lot of what she does really adds credibility to the Ariel scenes. I think, she, yeah, she's really supporting a lot of that stuff and it's hard to put your finger on it because I don't think it's anything to do with her dialogue being better or anything but I think it is just actually better acting and I think it is better acting you can see you know that it's importance because sometimes you're like what is good acting what is bad acting and you can definitely define what bad acting is but to see sort of good acting in in this film I think especially really there's something there stands out yeah yeah It's, it is intangible, but you just feel more drawn to her because maybe it's it's just more real. Like the things that she is going through on the screen just seem more real. Like I said before, I didn't feel that connected with any of the characters. I felt more connected with her yeah. as this like secondary character than I did with Ariel. And that's that shouldn't be the way it is, right? No, but you do wonder if, if they didn't have her, if they didn't have John Lithgow and to an extent Kevin Bacon, so people that could act, like would this film have become what it was? Like, because I think... Mm. I think it is, yeah, that that acting that really adds something to this, makes it it something, yeah, makes what, yeah, you described in, you know, a 15 second plot, something a bit more. Mm -hmm. Let's use that to talk a little bit about how this film came into existence and became a cultural phenomenon, because I found that really interesting. Yeah. I'll I'll talk you through it. So basically, Dean Pitchford, who who was a songwriter, wrote some songs for Peter Allen, was a choreographer as choreographer sorry as well and had done it and this was sort of his first real attempt at oh and a songwriter first real attempt at a, a script and he sort of wanted to write a musical but yeah had this had this sort of idea that hadn't been done before of writing a musical where it's not people singing the song he saw the article he got the ball rolling he knew someone who was a producer they brought it to paramount and paramount said eh, sure like we'll give you eight million dollars which even at the time wasn't a lot of money and mm. just go for it because it was all going to be shot on site in this tiny town so it's like nothing so much to say so you hear these mm. producers talking to them like we just got no contact from the studio like we didn't know if we were still going ahead we were just oh wow going there was that bit of that hubbub about kevin bacon but apart from that it was just sort of yeah sure whatever you guys do you so that sort of happened then suddenly while they well before they sort of started really getting going herbert ross read the script now herbert ross who directed this film had a huge like resume he started off as a choreographer himself but then went on to direct a huge amount of films uh, i was going to mm-hmm. say hundreds but hundreds is probably exaggeration but lots and lots of fi- it's possible lots and lots of films and lots of his films had been awarded a lot of academy awards he had got a lot of actors and actresses academy awards for his films he was he was a big deal mm-hmm. so when he read the script he just did the 1980s 
equivalent of text. I don't know what that was, whether they sent a letter or whatever. A pigeon, yeah. I think. <laughs> to the producers and said, hey, can I direct this? And they were like, the fuck? Like, why? Yes, please. Well, yeah, but no, they, they couldn't believe it, especially because they couldn't offer him a lot of money. He was like, no, I'm signed up with Paramount. I can sort of do what I want there. So yeah, I'll do it. And it was because he'd sort of seen how pivotal dance was to this story and because he'd been a choreographer, really wanted to mm. flex those muscles. So once he got involved, I think that shifted the story to something better than it could have been. So mm. you sort of had all of that coming in from, I guess, a film point of view, but then you also had the soundtrack. So Dean Pitchford contacted each of these different musicians slash songwriting teams to write different songs for different characters throughout the film. And mm-hmm. if you look at like the soundtrack, some of the songs that came from this movie, so were originally written for this movie, it's just shocking. Like you've got Footloose and Let's Hear It For The Boy, like the two classic that you know from this movie. Was that written for this film? Yeah. Let's Hear It For The Boy. And so was Holding out for a wow. hero. Ah, oh, that was written for this yeah. film. Dancing in the Sheets was another sort of big famous one. But also like, you know, that song I talked about earlier, Girl Gets Around with from the guy from Van Halen. Like he, he brought in all these really big artists to do these single songs. So mm. they had this going for it, like a broad base of um, song fans being brought in. Plus it was at the birth of MTV. So before the film was released, mm. they released on MTV Footloose and Let's Hear It For The Boy. And it just mm. blew up. So much so that mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon, who no one really knew, they remember going to the premiere and they had crowds of screaming fans for Kevin Bacon. They're like, how do you know him? They're like, he's from Footloose. And they're like, you haven't seen Footloose. Yeah, wow. Um, So I just found that amazing that it sort of had this like lightning in a bottle moment that this led to everything. Music is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if they felt like we did the first time we watched Yeah. I thought they'd be more singing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But the craziest thing is, Ryan, that all of those songs were written for this movie. Yeah. But it didn't win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. It was Ah. double nominated. So let's hear it for The Boy and Footloose were both nominated. But it lost out to... Woman in Red by Stevie Wonder. Oh. I just find that hilarious. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, those decisions are so subjective. Yeah, that's true. It was also nominated against Ghostbusters from Ghostbusters that year. Oh, well, that definitely should have won. What a list of bangers. (laughs) We did Ghostbusters on this exact podcast, didn't we? Yeah, that was an early one. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was an early one. Yeah, it's really interesting. The the fact that it has kind of has got this enduring fan base, I guess, or this enduring kind of cult following. Yeah. Was it popular at the time? Because I read some reviews from when it was released and the reviews weren't the critics weren't loving it at the time of its release. Yeah, it was from what I've seen it was fairly popular. It grossed 80 million at the box office, which was pretty good. Reviews yeah. weren't great, yeah. but they made a lot of money from the soundtrack. And yeah. you hear the producers talking about there was a stage where you listen to commercial radio or watch MTV and you couldn't go 10 minutes without hearing or seeing a footloose song. So, yeah. that was I think the real kicker of that sweet cash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should talk about also like there was a remake in um 2011, I think. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Which I don't think was very popular. No. And when I learned about the remake, I have to say, I said to myself, why would you remake this film? Yeah. But they remake everything. Yeah, I don't know. Watching it this time, and I know this sounds like ridiculous, but I could see it work as a Netflix series. Oh, really? Yeah. You can see everything working as a Netflix series. That's it. I, I know, right? It seems, it sounds cliche, but I really thought like, you know, this, you could deal, I think there's enough within the characters to sort of, to broaden them out a little bit that you could across some more time. Mm. Don't know much about the remake at all except for the fact that Dennis Quaid played the John Lithgow character. Ah, Dennis Quaid, mm. our favourite. Well, they changed the storyline a little bit. Was it set in the 80s or was it set in modern times? It's set in modern times. Mm. And it's directed by the same guy who directed Black Snake Moan. Oh. Craig Brewer. Weird. And they changed the storyline so that the mum actually dies and that's why he moves to this small town. Yeah, okay. And it has, I mean, it has a higher rating than the original Footloose on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know what that says. No, no, actually. The reason is that because older films, right, they had a smaller base of reviews that could be counted for Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that's true. Whereas these days, every man and his dog's got a film blog, so... Or a podcast. Yeah, but that's it. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. And I feel like um, <laughs> that's why modern films, Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's a lot easier to get those really extremes. Like, you know, we hate it because everyone dumps on it. But it's also easier to get that real yep. sort of middling kind of stuff. Mid, Yeah, mid-range. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks... It, um, I don't want to watch it, personally speaking. But <laughs> it was also made into a musical, which I think I would definitely go and see the musical. And I feel like it would work well as a musical. In fact, it's probably what I was wanting at the first in the first 
first place. Yeah. So um, it was a musical. Yeah, it was yeah. made into a musical. And it's the musical is one of the top 20 musicals done by local high schools. Oh, yeah, that makes so, sense. So probably along with Grease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it would work really well as a musical. Yeah, me too. Like, it would be able to take it to that sort of, like, I guess, fabulous level that the movie sort of could disappoint on. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm just... There's still, there's still bits about it that I liked. Like, most of the bits I liked had to do with either Sarah Jessica Parker, the Willard, Ren's best friend. When Ren's, like, trying to ask him if he knows all these bands, he keeps saying, have you have you heard of Men at Work? And he's like, what men? Where do they work? And he's just, like, just silly little puns like that. Yeah. And then he's like, what about the police? I don't know anything about the police except that they're right behind you, you know. Yeah. Like, just, you know, silly little puns and things about... No, that was about, very clever. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about other dance movies and I just... There's so many dance movies that I would prefer to watch than this one. Fair enough. That's and allowed. I don't think... I think maybe I just need to, like, think about it in my mind as not a dance movie, as just a drama. Yeah. With, with some with dance. occasional dance. But there is yeah. quite a bit of... Look, it's been years since I've watched Flashdance. Does that, does that really have a lot more dance than this? I don't know, but her dance scene is better. Her, like, solo moment of dancing. Oh, I don't know. His dance in the factory is pretty cool. It's so dark in there. I couldn't <laughs> see a thing. I think that was to make sure that you... Well, to try and hide the illusion of the body double. Oh, my God. Not only one body double. He had five body doubles. Yeah. He had, like, gymnast body double, dance body double, stunt double, another dance body double. Apparently, he really hated it because he was just like, there was five of us wearing the same costume <laughs> and it felt rubbish. Like, he wasn't the star of the show. I think, I think it works well. Yeah, I, I think it's... I didn't notice that much. Not like when I'm watching Buffy and I see the stunt double so very clearly. <laughs> I know, oh, right? It's terrible. I've been... Because I've been watching yeah. season two to get ready for that episode and I'll... Gosh. Well done. You can, um, yeah. You can really notice. I thought they'd really yeah. tidy that up. <laughs> nope. Nope. Oh, one of the other things that I wanted to say was about Ariel's mum. Mm-hmm. And how she is kind of a bit of a nothing character, but then right at the end, she kind of sticks up for her daughter and yeah, kind of starts to talk to her husband about, um, you know, maybe you're, what are you doing? You're not really thinking about what's happening. She's acting out because she wants to get your attention, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And I felt, I just felt so frustrated that even, even Ariel seemed at times more mature than her father. Like he would just like not talk to her, refuse to talk to her and give her the silent treatment. Yeah. Um, and she was like, daddy, like, I just, I want to talk to you blah 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 and I just felt so frustrated that the the women in this family had to be the more mature ones than this dad they're all hurting they all lost someone yeah but I think I don't know I think that that plays to that idea that yeah that, that how much this the loss of his son has taken over his life yeah but can't he just go and see a psychologist like a normal person <laughs> No, psychologists didn't exist uh, in the 80s. Oh, sure. They were outlawed yeah. in that town, for sure. That's it. <laughs> oh, lordy. Anyway, what else did I write? I just said the mum was sensible. Mm. I said peer pressure. Yeah, Terrible. peer pressure. Very rarely good. Um, Very rarely. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Except in Greece. That worked out really well. Mm. I think that's all I've got, really. Yeah, I think I'm I'm done as well with what I wanted to talk about. And, that yeah, that sort of covered the special features as well. There was also... A commentary by Kevin Bacon I didn't watch. And oh, the yeah. theatrical trailer that was actually really well cut too. I, you know, sometimes you watch especially older trailers and you're like, oof. But this one made me want to watch Footloose. So it didn't tell you the whole story? And, yeah, it did. But because, like, you know, the, the story's, the story's <laughs> not much anyway. Like, <laughs> That's true. That's I just don't true. think you felt too <laughs> spoiled by that. Do you want to have a quick game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Yeah. Now, what are your rules? For our listeners who, who don't know what yeah, this is. Yeah, you go. It, was, it happened because Kevin Bacon is such a prolific actor and seems to be in everything. And it comes from some other theory that there's like six degrees of separation between everyone. everyone. Yeah. So essentially you can make a connection to someone else using six other people. Yeah. Paul's showing me what six looks like on his fingers. Good job. Well done. That's correct. Three plus three. So people start playing this game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon where you have to say a film and then you've got to connect that film to Kevin Bacon within six steps. Yeah. If we give it a go, I would like you to play because you know more films than me. Is that all right? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so let's go with um let's go with Greece. Greece. Okay. Oh, that one actually shouldn't be too hard at all because John Travolta has done lots of films. So I'm going to start with John Travolta. I'm okay. sure he's done a film with Kevin Bacon too, you know? That wouldn't shock me at all. But um, and I have to do it in six, yeah? Yeah, six steps. Okay, so I'm thinking this through. I'm thinking this through. I'm going to start with John Travolta, who was in... Oh, oh you'll like this one. 
Okay. John Travolta was in Hairspray, right? Yep. With yep. Zac Efron. Yes, correct. Zac Efron, you know, he's everyone's favorite teen heartthrob. He was actually in a movie with Miles Teller, who was in the remake of Footloose. I, I'm just trying to remember what it was called. Um, it was because it had a different name in Australia that did in the US. That awkward moment. That awkward moment. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. So what have I got? I've got John Travolta was in Hairspray with Zac Efron. Zac Efron was in That Awkward Moment with Miles Teller. Miles Teller was in Whiplash with J.K. Simmons. Yep. J.K. Simmons was in La La Land with Emma Stone. And Emma Stone yep. was in Crazy Stupid Love with Kevin Bacon. Woo-hoo! There you go. Six degrees. <laughs> well done. It's a little stressful, isn't it? That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. I never would have been able to do that. Well done. Thanks. On that high, I think we should leave it here. Yeah, I think so. I think I've got a choice to make. You do. You've got a very difficult choice. I actually don't know which way you're going to go because I did not anticipate you finding so much value in revisiting this film. Me either. So I have no idea. I was I was shocked. Look, after some umming and ahhing, it is going to go to the op shop. Oh, controversial. But you're going to keep the jumper. <laughs> I'll keep the jumper for Peggy. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to send it there because, yeah, I don't think it's one that I'm going to be reaching out for. It's another one of those ones that I like. I definitely would watch again. And it, there might yeah. come a time where I do really sort of really want to watch it. But if I can't find it, I'm not going to be too sad. It would be on a list of things yeah. that I might want to watch that night, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. it is, I realised it's not on Stan or Netflix, is it? No. Sorry. It's not. I had to pay good money oh, for man, it. And I always seem to like really um doggy with those choices. <laughs> it's quite all right. Yeah. So it's off to the op shop when op shops open. Unless someone wants it, then send us an email. Yes. Correct. And I'll send it As out. As always. Well, Very good. That's Footloose. Everybody cut. Everybody cut. Next everybody week. Footloose. Yeah, what are we going to do next week, Beck? Okay. Next week, we're going to do one of my films. I personally wrote, starred, <laughs> and directed in this film. No, not really. One of my DVDs. It is... Napoleon Dynamite! The one we all thought we were so cool for loving. That's it, exactly. In the early, mid-2000s. So much so. And so much so that I've also got the exact same copy of the DVD in my collection. (laughs) So it's going to be... I feel like it's it's another another Garden's Day, right? That's it. I mean, very, very different, but... Yeah, but no, I look forward to re-watching that and we'll have two decisions at the end of that episode. How exciting. Yes, we certainly will. How scary. All right, well, thanks again for listening, folks. And we really hope that you are surviving in this yeah. crazy time. We're all, at this particular moment, we are all awaiting a announcement from our beloved premiere yeah. about what restrictions may or may not be eased on Monday. I know. And then, who knows, yeah. we could be recording in person again sometime. Nah. nah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd be like, <laughs> this is great. It's just so easy. <laughs> it really is. And I've actually yeah, heard people say that... The, special occasions. Yeah, that's, I've heard that people said the yeah. sound quality has improved. Oh. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, that is good. So I completely forgot to brainstorm a sign-off, so I've got nothing. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that too. Okay. So we'll do this awkward thing again where we make sure... <laughs> sounds great. Everyone follows us. Should we make it... You go. <laughs> <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> I was going to say, should we make it extra awkward, but I think we just did. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Follow us at DVD Clutter, <laughs> D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T-T-E-R. Ah. At Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. I'm being I've been a bit lax on the Instagram. I do apologize. It's just that this fucking teaching from home shenanigans mm. it's really draining my life. That's yep. Yeah. And I've been lax as so, always because I've just anyway. shitted it. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so we both have an excuse. But until next week, if you would like, why don't you uh, go watch Napoleon Dynamite to refresh your mind, get yourself some tater tots, stuff them in your pockets. Yep. Get ready for a good time. That's it. Hope your lips aren't too chapped. See ya. Bye.